I was uh, over there singing, had my eyes closed, and I, I looked up at one point, and I thought that he was kicking the microphone stand down for just a second. I was, like, totally up for that. And uh, I'm thinking maybe, you know, we could get, like, even if we got, like, some fake, like, Marshall stack amps and stuff back in the back, we could, like, you know, if we met, like, certain offering goals or something, we could, like, get him to, like, kick them over and smash a guitar into it. Just a thought. I'd like to see it. I don't know about y'all. Y'all going to be like that today, huh? It's going to be bad for you if you are. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to warn you. Uh, no, we are uh, glad that you're here and uh, uh, excited to uh, get to share this morning out of, out of the book of Mark. Uh, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and get it out. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have plenty of Bibles, uh, and we don't have screens. So if you don't get a Bible and you didn't bring a Bible, then I'm assuming you don't want to look at a Bible. Uh, so, you know, you might get judged by people on your row or something. I'm not going to judge you, but Jesus is watching, okay? So, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, Mark chapter 1 is where we're going today. We'd love for you to follow with us uh, as we're studying through this passage together. Uh, in fact, we're, we're studying, uh, as we, we've been walking through the book of Mark, we just started that a few weeks ago, uh, excited about doing that, and, and we talked, I've talked about, you know, the difference between Mark as a gospel and uh, Matthew and Luke and John, uh, and we see they're, they're just written differently. There's just, there's just some differences in the way Mark comes across, uh, and, and really we're, we're getting this kind of like secondhand uh, scenario kind of thing. We, we, we believe, we have a lot of reason to believe that, uh, that Mark is giving us Peter's account. Uh, you know, and if you're familiar at all with the life of Christ, then, then in there you're familiar probably with at least some of, some of the interactions between Peter and Jesus. So imagine kind of, uh, maybe, of course we don't know for sure, but imagine if it is, and it, I, th- I think it probably is, you know, getting this account of what it looks like uh, to see Peter's perspective of the life of Christ. And that's kind of what we're getting, but we're not getting it firsthand. And so... Uh, the way it's written, it's written like, you know, your friend is telling you, telling you a story about his friend kind of thing, uh, which, you know, it, it just comes across differently. And one of the things that we see about Mark is he kind of just cuts to the chase. Uh, we don't get a lot of detail about a lot of things that we do in other passages of Scripture uh, or, or the other Gospels speci- specifically um, that have, you know, some of the same, same stories and things like that in it. Uh, and so uh, today, um, you know, I was praying over like, you know, how this was to be broken up. And, and I, love, I love teaching. I can teach, you know, whole message on one verse or whatever. And, and, and really the, the section that we're looking at today is, is actually kind of four sections. Um, but I, I really felt led to teach them together. Uh, and I could have totally taught four different messages off of them. Could have taught two messages, split them up two and two. Really kind of, honestly, kind of wrestled with that one. Uh, but at the end, I kind of came to this, we're seeing something that's a commonality through the four, the four different uh, passages here, and they're, and they're all very short, uh, and so I just, I just really felt led to just go ahead and teach them together, and so we're going to study them together today, and uh, I, hope that, uh, I hope that that's from the Lord and, and not something from me or whatever, uh, but uh, anyway, uh, Mark chapter 1, Mark chapter 1, uh, you know, one of the things that we see in Mark is we see Jesus the King. Uh, but, you know, Jesus the king is different than most kings. You know, mo- most kings that we know about, uh, if you think about, uh, you know, I-, I think about kings, I can't help but think of like things like Monty Python's Holy Grail and stuff like that. But, you know, but the, you know, you got, you know, anytime when you see kings in general, even in, even in scripture when we see kings, uh, we see 
them be people who uh, want things brought to them. You know, it's kind of like you, you imagine they got the throne, they're in the court, or you know, maybe they've got the, the couch you know, with the girl that's feeding them grapes or something, I don't know. But it's almost kind of like everything kind of comes to them. They have things come to them. You know, so when they, when they want to do something or they want something done, they're like, bring me the, bring me the so-and-so, bring me the so-and-so. You know? and, and so that, that's kind of the idea that we get with, with most kings, and I think that's pretty, pretty spot on. Uh, but Jesus the king does the opposite of that. He goes to people. He goes to people. And, and all four of these passages are Jesus going to people. Now, to kind of lay the groundwork, last week we were picking up off of last week. And last week was when Jesus just called some of the first disciples. Remember that? The fishermen guys, you know, all the crazy fishing guys. And, and so, you know, that, that's, that's, we're on the heels of that. And right, I mean, right out of the chute, I mean, we're starting ministry here. Like, he, I mean, this is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus. And by the way, ministry is, you know, we're going to see what ministry looks like through these four sections right here, I think, together. Uh, so kind of be looking for that. But uh, on, on thinking about, you know, we've just come off the hills of, of we've, got the, we've got the fishermen and we're going to go. What are we going to do? We're going to go train? Uh, no, we're just going to go and start doing ministry. So here it is, Mark 1, verse 21, and it says this. It says, and they went up, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, right here, right off the bat, we've got this, this little tidbit, this authority piece. Authority is something that, uh, you know, is, is not easily attained, uh, but easily lost. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's you know, if you, we could go like Leadership 101 on this for an hour uh, or five, uh, you know, but authority is one of those things, like everybody wants authority, but not everybody gets authority. In fact, uh, if you've ever gone into a new job uh, where maybe you were even put in authority over other people, but you were new to the job, then you know what it's like to be given authority, but not necessarily get it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, for example, you go into a new job, and you've been put over in charge of some people, but uh, let's say you've never met these people in your life. They don't know you. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you've been given the authority to tell them what to do with their jobs, to help better the company or whatever it is. And they're looking at you kind of like, well, you're crazy. Where did you come from? You know, authority is something that you have to earn. You know, earning the right to be heard is, is a big deal. I, I, I remember years ago when I took a, a student pastor position uh, in Nashville. And uh, I was, uh, the, the student ministry there at that church had had three youth ministers, I'm sorry, five youth ministers in three years. Five youth ministers in three years. Let, let me tell you what that does to a youth ministry or a church that hires a youth minister. It has them to the point that when you are the new youth minister number six at the end of that three-year period, that when you walk in the door, they're all looking at you, parents, kids, everybody included, and they're wondering, how long is he going to last? I was probably 21 years old, had bleach blonde hair, uh, drove a 67 Mustang, 
said rock and roll on the license plate, still have the license plate. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, and, and work for a record label. These people, I know, thought this guy's not going to last five minutes. Let me tell you about something that happened while I was in that. I had been given the authority to lead, but because of the situation that was at hand, by the way, let me side note, uh, Penny has been our youth minister for nine years, and that is an anomaly. You go ask anybody at any church how long they've had their youth minister. You will not find a nine-year youth minister. I don't know that I know, but maybe one other youth minister and all the youth ministers I know, and I know a few, uh, that, have ever, that have ever stayed at a church that long. That's amazing. You should thank him for it. Uh, that's, it's pretty awesome. It is. Um, so I had been given authority, but because of what they had been through and because of some anger and bitterness, I think, I'm just kind of guessing, at uh, the loss of the last youth minister that was before me, there were some of the kids that were so upset about it that they had decided, it didn't matter who I, I could have been Jesus walked in the door and it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, they had decided before I ever showed up that they were going to do their own thing. They were going to start their own ministry, their own youth ministry. They were going to do their own summer camp. So here I am, I've shown up, and I start planning for the summer. And then we start catching wind that some of the other kids are being, you know, kind of scouted, if you will. <laughs> to come and go on this other summer camp instead of coming on the one that we're working on, you know, and all this stuff. And I'll just be honest with you, I was, you know, I'd only been in ministry probably three or four years at that point, um, and, and I was struggling with it. I was, you know, I felt like, you know, I really felt attacked and all that kind of stuff. And so uh, I'll never forget, and I've told this story here before, so you can listen to it again. Uh, if you've been around, but uh, I never forget the pastor there at the time. He he uh, he came upstairs. I was sitting uh, in the youth room, which was at that time upstairs, and we had a, a nasty couch because every youth room has to have a nasty couch in it uh, from the '70s. And I was sitting on nasty '70s couch, and I was you know just you know down and out and all this stuff. And he comes up and he finds me and he says, he sits down and says, "Chris, you doing okay?" And I said, "I'll be honest with you, I'm not. I'm not doing good." And he said, well, I know this is hard. He said, I, I'm so, and I'm sorry. He said, but I want you to know, I, I believe that God brought you here. And I, I know God wants to do great things. And he said, you know, I just encourage you not to, not to lose hope in that. And I said, man, I, I, I believe that too. I said, deep down in my heart, I said, but I'm just really struggling with this. You know. He said, let me tell you something my dad told me. And his, and his dad was also a pastor. He said, let me tell you something my dad taught me a long time ago. He said, Kevin, if you ever go to an apple orchard and you want an apple off one of the trees, there's apples all over these trees, and you're, you, you, I mean, you just kind of, when you go someplace like that, all of a sudden, like, you just want one, right? I mean, it could be peaches, apples, whatever. And all of a sudden, you're like, ah, I want one of those, you know? And he's like, but you don't have a ladder. How are you going to get an apple down to eat it? And he said, I don't know, I'll probably, you know, throw something at it, stick, stone, something like that, I don't know, try to knock one out of a tree and, you know, see if I can get one and eat it. He said, exactly. He said, we don't throw sticks and stones at trees that don't bear fruit, and neither does Satan. Let me, let me kind of tell, us, tell you something that I see as the pastor of, of 24. I see God doing some pretty amazing things 
in the life of this church right now. I see God moving. I know, I know many of you have seen at least glimpses of like God working and God moving, people coming to, to know the Lord. Uh, I mean, just the, the amazing stuff, the God stuff, not the, hey, we got, you know, 10 things right, so now all of a sudden everything's, you know, going great around here systems-wise or something. Uh, no, I, I'm talking about God stuff here. And, uh, I, but I also see, I also see the spiritual warf- warfare that goes along with that. I, I see glimpses of Satan attacking what is bearing fruit. And folks, let me encourage you in something. We have to see through that. We have to see that for what it is. Because our, our, our initial is in those moments is to go, oh, well, that, that's that person, or that's, you know, it's that thing, or they screwed that up, or this, you know, whatever. And, and, and I'll just be honest with you. We've got to be able to see it for what it is. Now, let, let me say this with that. Let me say this with that. Jesus is Lord over all. Jesus is Lord over all. So I talk about spiritual warfare, and when anybody wants to talk to me about spiritual warfare, I'm game for talking about spiritual warfare. I mean, I, it's, it's a real thing, but let me, let me help you understand something. I don't, I'm not afraid of spiritual warfare, and the reason I'm not afraid of it is because what I just said, Jesus is Lord over all. He plays the trump card every single time. In fact, we're going to see that right here in this passage. I want you to follow with me. Here it goes, right here. It says, one of, he, taught, he taught like one who had authority. This, this really freaked them out because he showed up with the authority of somebody that they'd never met in their life and know where he came from, all this kind of stuff. He's, he's kind of wowing the crowd here a bit. Verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Who's this guy? Well, just wait. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him, and they were amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching of authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Jesus has the power over all things, and that includes demons. You're like, demons? What is that? Well, it's a new challenger that they made that's pretty awesome, but <laughs> that's not what I'm talking about. Demons, demons are spirits that are unclean. They're what we see here. They're from Satan. And you say, Chris, you believe in that? Yeah, I do believe in that. But to go along with that, I also believe that, that Jesus has complete power over all things. The trick for us is to remember that spiritual warfare exists and that it is playing a part of things going on in our lives and around us because Satan attacks what is bearing fruit. Let me, let me give you an example. If you pursue Jesus, guess who's coming after you? Now, I have people, I've had people say to me, Chris, you know I, Kind of felt like life's going okay, and you know I realized I hadn't been you know really going to church, hadn't been pursuing God. 
just decided I really probably need to start doing that. And it's the funniest thing, like, it seems like ever since I started pursuing God, stuff keeps happening. I'm like, uh-huh. You see it? We bear fruit, he throws sticks and stones. We don't bear fruit, <laughs> he doesn't have any reason to do anything to us at all. We're doing exactly what he wants us to do, which is nothing. Not pursuing Jesus. Not being changed by his grace. Jesus looks at this guy. And this guy looks at Jesus. And the demon speaks from within this guy, through this guy. Because th th this guy didn't know Jesus. This guy didn't know Jesus from a hole in the wall. But the demon knew Jesus. And what's he say? He says, what have you to do with us? Verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I mean, calls him by name. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? You see, that demon knew Jesus had complete power over him to the point he could destroy him. That's pretty amazing. And then he goes on and he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, I'm sure everybody else in the room was going, what? This is crazy what's going on right now. And in verse 25, but Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Jesus basically looks at this unclean spirit, this demon, whatever, and he says, shut up and get out. And he does. So he's been teaching with authority. He does an exorcism. Let's just call it what it is. And then on top of that comes around to the backside and tells the thing not to just be quiet but to get out. He does, continues teaching, and at once, verse 28, at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Everywhere. You see, there's a reason that Jesus is going to this place. There's a reason why Jesus would cast out the demon. Is it because Jesus felt sorry for the guy? No. Well, what's the reason? I'm not going to tell you yet. Verse 29. Verse 29. And says, and immediately he left the synagogue. This is, this is number two here. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Simon actually cared for his mother-in-law. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. So Jesus with his boys, you know, you know, these are these are his fishing boys, you know, that he's called out to be disciples and all that. And and one of them, his mother in law, is sick. Now unlike some of you who let your mother in law be sick, this one like wanted to try to help her get better. So can't help with the mother in law jokes, right? It's just too easy. It's too easy. And so, uh, so they, they bring Jesus to her, 
And he sees, and, and it says she's got a fever. I have a feeling it was a pretty serious fever. I'm having a feeling this isn't just like, you know, she's got a little headache kind of thing or whatever. Something serious going on here. Jesus takes her by the hand, touches her, and he heals her. And it goes on in verse 32, it says, That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. That evening sundown thing, this is the end of the Sabbath, the end of the Sabbath day. Jesus um, and, and they are trying to observe the Sabbath day. I think, I think this is interesting. I think because we see Jesus heal people later on on the Sabbath. Uh, Jesus didn't think anything about that, which tells us a lot about how Jesus viewed the Sabbath. Uh, we know that God teaches us that we're supposed to have a day of rest. Uh, that's still good for us. That is still, that's still biblical for us. We're still cool with that. Uh, and, and even though we live in a culture that, generally speaking, doesn't like to do that, I'm encouraging you to do that. You know, follow, you know, get, get a day of rest in there if you can. I know it's hard. Uh, but uh, what we see is we see, we see Jesus, you know, and the, and, and the people around him, more specifically, observing that this is the Sabbath, and they wait till sundown. So sundown was the end of the Sabbath. You know, he basically, they'd seen that as the end of the day for him to have his rest. And then they bring him, and I almost almost kind of feel like this is a scene out of that that show. I don't, if you ever, ever remember this show, it was uh, maybe the '90s or something when it was on. A show called Northern Exposure. Anybody remember that show? It was like a doctor in Alaska, and like you know, people would uh, like bring him chickens to pay him and stuff, you know, which he hated. You know, it was just crazy stuff like that. Well, I mean, it was kind of kind of that same idea. It kind of feels like to me that a little bit of this, especially right here on the front end, because Jesus is healing people now, that word is getting out that he's like the best doctor in town. Let's get everybody together that's sick and let's take them to see Jesus so that they can get healed and they can get better. And, and, and it says, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons... So not just sick people, but people that were also possessed. Uh, pretty interesting that apparently there was like a, a kind of a known crowd of folks that were possessed. And in verse 33 it says, And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Read that again. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Everybody in town came. Everybody in town came. To poor old mama-in-law's house who, had, who just had a fever. And now she's over here fixing biscuits or something. Because she's serving them. Says she's serving them. I don't know what she's serving them. She might be serving them a knuckle sandwich. Maybe, maybe, he, maybe Simon had been bad or something. I don't know. But, but she's serving them. And there they are. And now everybody in town, but especially all who were sick and possessed by demons, are hanging outside the door. In verse 34 it says, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Let me read that again. And he, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. The demons know who he is. Satan knows who he is. Every single one of them know that there will be a day when they will have to bow their knee and say the words that Jesus is Lord. 
That's going to happen. That's going to happen. And even in this moment, they knew who he was to the point that he literally silenced all of them. They could not speak because they knew him. That's amazing to me. Absolutely amazing. It goes on, it says this in verse 35. It says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. So, we're leaving the scene here, okay? Next day, next morning, early in the morning, still dark. That's why we know it's real early in the morning. Still dark, and I don't know if he snuck out the back door, cut a hole in the roof. He got out somehow, escaped, MacGyvered his way out of that house to go to a place off by himself, a desolate place. Why? To pray. Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, went to pray. Jesus, the one that the demons know who he is, went to pray. Why would he do that? Why would Jesus go and pray? Why would he do that? We see just yet another little piece of the makeup of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit here. What we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus go and seek the leadership of the Father. He goes and prays, asking God the Father to lead him in what he has been sent to do. If you, if, you, if you notice something that Jesus says throughout his ministry, is that, is that he's, he's always pointing to the Father. He's always pointing back to the Father. He has, he has a, a respect. He has a, this amazing you know, relationship with the Father. But not only that, he wants to be led by the Father. This is, this is an amazing part of this for us this morning. Because I, I think to myself, you know, if, if Jesus needs to pray, and he needs to spend time seeking the Father, what do we need? You know? I mean, I'm just thinking about idiot sinner Chris, and I can just tell you, I don't hold a candle anywhere near Jesus. And I'm just thinking, if Jesus needs that kind of leadership, if Jesus needs to seek the Father, I can guarantee you Chris does. I know I do. And, and, and with that question, maybe a question, just a valid question, not, not a guilt question or anything like that, just a valid question. How much time are you spending in prayer right now? How much time are we spending in prayer? How much time are we seeking the Father to lead us in this life? And there he prayed. Departed, went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And in verse 36, it says this. It says, And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. So Simon's got a party together, search party. We're going looking for Jesus because all of a sudden we all woke up from the crazy day before of healing and demons getting shut up and cast out and all this other kind of stuff. And then they go looking for him. And in verse 37, it says, And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. 
Jesus didn't come to party. Jesus came to teach. Why? Why? Still not going to answer the question. We'll come back to it. And he, he said to them, let us go down to the towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Amazing. We'll revisit the question now. Why is Jesus doing this? Why is Jesus healing people? Why is, why is Jesus casting out demons? Is it just because he doesn't like demons he just wants to show off? I mean, is it, is it, I mean what's, what's the point? What's the purpose? There's got to be a purpose, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And this is the reason why I felt led to teach all four of these passages together as one today. What we see is we see Jesus modeling for us what it looks like to do ministry. What's ministry? Think about that for a second. What's, what's ministry? Well, ministry is meeting the needs of people, ministering to the needs of people, ministering to people. Well, if you're going to minister to somebody, well, then you're ministering to a need that they have. Now, sometimes, sometimes those are needs that they know they've got, and sometimes they're needs that they don't know that they have. And so sometimes you, you kind of got to you know, figure out what, which is what and that kind of thing. So Jesus is ministering to what we might call the felt needs, the needs that they know that they have, which are sickness, <laughs> being possessed. We'll go. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small problem, but it's a problem, all right? And, uh, and so Jesus goes and he does this, but, 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 but this is twofold. So he does this, and in the process of doing this, something happens. He's glorified. He's made known. People, people begin to know who he is. If nothing else, in the very first instance that we see Jesus doing this work, we see the, we see the demon call him by name, and then he, of course, casts him out. And it's like, well, you can shut up and get out of here now. And then they're all like, whoa, what's going on? And then what does it say at the end of that passage? It says in verse 28, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the, the surrounding region of Galilee, Jesus was making himself known. Jesus was making himself known. So he was meeting needs to make himself known. And at the end of the day, that's what we're called to do. We're called to meet needs of people that God's put in our lives to make him known. The problem is sometimes we like to meet needs so that we get made known. You know, we're like, yeah, I, did, I didn't mind doing that. That wasn't that big a deal. You know, I mean, it cost me a couple hundred dollars, but yeah, I'm glad to do it for you. That's the, hey, will you, will you pat me on the back right here? Just right there is a good spot. That'd be, that'd be good. We like that, right? You see, our call to give God glory which is the purpose of our life, is to glorify God in all that we do. It literally means to make Him known. That is the purpose of our life, that people would know Jesus because they know us. Here's the beauty of it. His fame spread everywhere. His fame spread everywhere. And, and then when Simon comes to him, and he says to him, Hey... 
we were looking for you. He doesn't say we were looking for you. What's he say? He says, everyone is looking for you. And then Jesus nonchalantly is like, okay, well, let's go on to the next town. I got to preach there too. We got an appointment. And it says in verse 39, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. We're not done. We got one more. Might, might be the best one. I don't know. Verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Now leprosy is an, is an awful disease. Awful disease. I mean, if you don't know much about leprosy, we're talking about something that like is a flesh-eating disease. People usually lose, lose limbs. Uh, off their body, I mean, it's, it's awful. I mean, eventually it usually just kills you. We see this guy with leprosy come to him. Normally, a leper would be somebody who's cast out. You would literally have, like, the leper colony out in some far-off place out of town. Like, you know, somebody comes down with leprosy, you'd be like, all right, well, it's good knowing you. You're going to Lot B, you know. Head on out. You're not staying here. We're not going to catch it. You know, and so they would all go live in a colony together where they basically go and die together. And so here comes this leper, which I'm sure everybody around him is scared to death that he's even shown up on the scene. And verse 41, it says, Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Now, first of all, Jesus touched him. We see this. We see this a lot in the book of Mark. Jesus touching the people physically, putting his hands on them and saying, I love you, come to me, touching them. You didn't touch a leper. And with everybody watching, Jesus touches this leper and he says, I will. In other words, I will heal you. And he says, be clean. Wouldn't that be so nice? I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd pay a lot of money just to even, just to, I don't want a lot of powers, okay, if I could just get some powers from Jesus. If I could just walk in my house and go, be clean. <laughs> when you got six kids, I'm telling you. I'm right, aren't I? She knows. She's the, she's the oldest one. She could tell you. She's cleaning up after everybody else. Be clean. Jesus just says to him, be clean. And boom, what do we got? It says, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing that Moses, what Moses commanded for a proof to them. In other words, he's saying, you go to the priest, and I want you to have him declare you clean so that everybody in town will leave you alone and let you live a life as a clean person. Because verse 45, it says, But he went out, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. Now, why, what's wrong with that? Because Jesus just charged him, verse 44, See that you say nothing to anyone but go. See that you say nothing to anyone. Why would Jesus say that? Jesus knew he wasn't going to do that. This is like reverse psychology. 
He just saved this man's life. He knows he's going to go out and tell everyone. And he does. And in verse 45 he says, But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news. And that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. In other words, the the Jesus tour bus couldn't even show up in town at this point because it was just nuts. It's just nuts. It's crazy. So, I ask again, why did Jesus do it? Number one reason is he did it to make himself known. He did it for his glory. You say, well, Chris, that sounds a little egotistical of Jesus, doesn't it? Why would he do that? He's not an egotistical person. Well, think about it like this. If he knows, by the way, remember, we are his creation. He knows more about us than we will ever know. He knows what's best for us. He knows what's bad for us. And he loves us on top of all that. So he wants what, what is the best for us. And so if he knows that in him we will find salvation, in him we will find forgiveness of sin, then he wants us to know him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to be saved by him. Forgiveness is a funny thing. I had this conversation here in the last couple of weeks, and this is more of that what I was just talking about earlier about the whole spiritual warfare thing. In the last couple of weeks, I had a conversation with a, somebody from our church that is in one of a couple different situations I know, one of few situations I know where there are marriages that may or may not make it. I don't know, and I'm praying that they do. But one of these people talked to me, hadn't told anybody. They had still haven't told anybody. Saw their husband this week, talked to him about it. He didn't know that they had told anybody. He said, none of our family even know. I said, I know. She told me that. She said to me this. She said, I can't forgive him for something that he did all those years ago. I'd listened to her share a lot of things in that moment. When she got done, I said, can I say something? Would you mind if I said something and you don't take it the wrong way? Number one, don't take it as me judging, but I'm saying this out of love. And she said, please do. I said, let me tell you something. I said, I, I could be wrong. I said, tell me if I am. I said, but it doesn't seem like you guys have been pursuing the Lord for a while now. You haven't been pursuing Jesus for a while now. I said, am I, am I correct? Am I off on that? And she said, no, that's right. She said, we haven't. I said, well, let me help you, let me, let me say something about forgiveness, just forgiveness. We're only talking about one thing here, okay, not to mention the other million things that God affects in our lives. I said, when it comes to forgiveness, if we're not pursuing Jesus, we will not want to forgive another person. I said, first of all, I said, we create footholds in our lives for that spiritual warfare stuff I was just talking about where Satan creeps in, talks us into believing lies. Talks into believing things that can't be fixed and yada, yada, yada. I said this. I said, I said, if we don't seek the Lord, then there is no way that we're probably going to forgive other people because left to ourselves as sinners, 
we'll hold grudges with everybody. We'll have lists. We'll have hit lists. You know? I mean, we'll, we'll become those people. Because the truth is, is, is forgiveness doesn't make sense. Somebody that wrongs you, you're going to forgive them? Why would you do that? The only reason is Jesus. Because when we pursue Him and, and we remember and experience the forgiveness that He has given to us over all the stuff that we have done against Him, we can in turn then forgive somebody else. And when we do, it is the gospel on display. It is God glorified. It is people seeing Jesus in us. It does not make sense to the rest of the world why we would forgive somebody who has wronged us. Let's take it another step further that we might forgive somebody who is still wronging us. Folks, be free from that. Don't fall into that. Don't let that be something that, that, that comes over you and hurts you, hurts your marriage, hurts your family, hurts your church. Don't fall into that. Jesus comes with authority. He comes with it out of the chute. He doesn't need two years on the job to earn the right to be heard with everybody working with him. He's like, demons, shut up and get lost. Boom, I'm the son of God. The demon even spoke it. He proves to them who he is. That's part of why he did this. He went around meeting needs. It's not because Jesus just felt sorry for people that were sick. It's still not because Jesus is just sorry for people that are sick. The reason that he does anything is for his glory and for our good that we would know him, that we would be saved. That is the whole purpose in his ministry. That is the whole purpose in our ministry. He meets their needs and he draws them near. They can't help but be drawn near. It's like gravity. The sun, talking about ball of fire in the sky here now, okay? The sun, big old thing. Let me share with you a couple of sun facts. You ready? Science class. One million earths can fit in the sun. It contains 99.886% of the mass in the solar system. Light from it takes eight minutes to reach earth. The distance from the sun to the earth changes throughout the year. You remember that in your little, you know, I think, I think a lot of us think we just go around in a circle. It, it doesn't work like that. It, that's, that's crazy to me. It draws earth to itself perfectly. It heats our planet. It gives us light. Heats our oceans. Without it, plants can't survive, and neither can we. That's the sun. In a solar system, a big ball of fire, where we are on a planet that has been placed perfectly in such a way to go around it that we can have life here. I'm sure it's all by accident. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. 
The sun draws us near to itself. And in doing so, it is for our good. Without it, we couldn't survive. We wouldn't be here. Jesus draws near all people that hear of him and see him through us. All people. I'll say it again. All people. How do you know all people, Chris? Luke 15, 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. Not the religious people. The tax collectors and sinners. By the way, that's us. We're sinners. Okay? Hebrews 4.16 says this. It says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'll read that again. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You see, God loves us, but our relationship with Him doesn't exist so that we can get what we want. And that's very backwards from what we grew up, you know, kind of feeling about life. Like, you know, it, you know we're, we're very self-centered people. We, we, make, we can make anything about us. You know, our favorite band doesn't come to town. How dare them not come to my town? You know? I mean, that's, that's who we are. Jesus doesn't do it for us to get what we want. He does it so that we will get what we need. And He knows what we need. And what we need is Him. We need Jesus. He draws us near to Him. Yet he comes also to us. Unlike all the other kings. He makes time to come be with us, have a relationship with us. And he not only is a king, but he is the king healer. And he wants to heal us of our sin and make us new creations. Maybe you hearing this right now are beginning to understand that God the Father sent His Son to give His life for us, to die the death that we deserve for the sins that we've committed and that in Him, if we believe in Him and trust in Him, we can be saved. That's, an, that's the amazing story of what God has done for us that He wants to change us and make us new. He wants to heal us of our sin. And He wants to give us purpose in this life to make Him known. He heals all things. He is the King Healer. Let's pray. God, we are in awe that You would care for us that you would give us the gift of salvation, that we could receive it despite who we are, despite our sin. God, lead us, your people. Lead us. Please, Lord, 
Show us what it means to follow you. Help us to be the people that you've called us to be. God, for anybody that's sitting here or listening to this right now, God, that hasn't trusted in you to be their Savior, God, hasn't believed in you before today, hasn't thought that they were good enough, God, I pray that you would help them to see today that it's not about being good enough. It's about you. God, and you've done all the work. God, we need you. We need you today as much as the day that you saved us. God, help us to never forget that. Help us to be led by you. Lord, be our king healer. Help heal us in the ways that we don't even know we need it. God, show us what it looks like to be your people. We love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.